Acts chapter 2. Is anybody excited for the word today? Man, I feel such an expectation in my spirit. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, much like we are today. And suddenly, there it is. It doesn't take God long to do something. Someone needs to hear me right now. A moment in the presence of God can take away a life filled with mistakes. One moment. One moment of repentance changes everything. And when there, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And this is what happened when the Spirit was poured out. And they were all filled. Everybody say filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance or the ability to do so. When they received the Holy Ghost, initially, the initial evidence was you would speak in other tongues. And such is the case today. What happened in Acts chapter 2 would change the world forever. And I believe what's going to happen today here at Atlanta West is going to change our lives forever. Because Jesus is in the room and he's come to do something for whosoever will. Jesus will come if he's invited. Revelation gives us insight to this. He said, behold, I stand at the door knocking. If any man will open the door, I will come in and I will sup with him or I will have communion with him. So the choice is yours today. He is available if you are available. Amen. For the next few moments, I want to preach upon this subject. Two questions of Pentecost. Two questions of Pentecost. Before you're seated one more time, if you would just lift your hands one more time and just ask that God would speak to us and we would respond to what we hear today. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, God, we ask that you would do what only you can do. There is no foe that can stop you, God. Let your spirit flow in this room. God, I pray right now against any opposition. God, I'm asking you to do what only you can do. Come on, church. Would you lift your voice in anticipation? Would you take your prayer to the next level right now? So, Jesus, do what only you can do. Jesus' name. Somebody shout in Jesus' name. Turn around and greet a couple people and let them know I'm so thankful to see you today. You may be seated. When you read through the account, as we just did, about what happened on the day of Pentecost, the language may suggest that it was a spontaneous event. While it was certainly a suddenly moment for the 120 people who were gathered in the upper room praying for the last 10 days, this was not a suddenly moment for Jesus Christ. I would submit to you today that this moment had been in the plan of God for a very long time. God doesn't operate within time, but God does operate within timing. So when the timing is right, 
God does what he plans to do. In John chapter 1, it tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word in Greek means logos that's used here, and it is the thought or the plan of God. So from the very beginning, God had a plan. This is why Jesus is called the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Satan thought he won when he deceived God's people, but God had a plan to restore relationship back between God and man. Aren't you thankful for that today? So when you open the Bible and you begin to read its opening verses in Genesis chapter 1, I believe it gives you a glimpse of what God is planning to do. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So in the beginning, you have God and you have his creation. The earth, his creation, though, was without form and void. It was chaotic. It was confusion that was present. And to make matters worse, it was covered in darkness. However, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the darkness, something happened that created a shift in the atmosphere. There was a move of the spirit. And when the spirit moved, it affected creation because when the spirit of God moved, God began to speak and God said, let there be light and there was light. What is interesting to note is that the sun nor the moon were created at this point. They would not be created until verse number 16 when the Bible says God created two great lights. The great light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. So here the word used for let there be in the Hebrew is haya. It is also the same word that God used when he told Moses I am that I am. Let there be an I am same word in the Hebrew. So literally what God is saying is let there be light or in other words I am light. And upon that declaration the light of the glory of God filled the earth. But it only happened after there was a moving of God's spirit. And in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the questions, in the midst of everything not making sense, something about a move of the Spirit brings illumination to what's going on. That is why it is so important to be consistently gathered together with people of like precious faith to experience a move of God's Spirit. Because it is in the move of the spirit that God can bring clarity to the chaos and light to the darkness. Sprinkled throughout the Old Testament, we see the promise and the prophecies of a coming day where this spirit that moves would no longer be limited to the external, but it would move internally. That the spirit of God would not just move on man, but one day it will move in man. Scripture indicates that there would be a transition from feeling the spirit to being filled with the spirit. No longer would it be something you feel, but it would now become something that fills you. So Ezekiel begins to write and prophesize as God spoke to him and says in Ezekiel 36, a new heart. Also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put in you. And he said, when I do this, I'm going to take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. Something about being spirit-filled should make you a little more tender-hearted. 
Spirit-filled people should be the nicest people on the planet. The waitresses should love to see the spirit-filled people come and not say, oh, my goodness, here they are. So God says, I'll take away the heart or the stony heart, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. In verse 27, he says, and I will put my spirit within you, and when I do this, it will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments. Isaiah would go on to prophesy in Isaiah 28 that with a stammering lips and another tongue will God speak to his people and he said when this happens there there's going to be a rest that comes there's going to be a refreshing that comes when i pour out my spirit god recognized the old testament model was not working the glory of god being veiled behind a veil in in the ark of the covenant in the most holy place where only the high priest could go that was not working so while israel struggled through these constant cycles of up and down god reminded them that there is going to be a day where everything is going to to change I'm not just going to be with you externally but I am going to be with you internally and perhaps the greatest of all the Old Testament prophecies that highlight this truth is found in Joel chapter 2 when Joel writes and says and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh now before I go on I must highlight the words there all flesh The Spirit of God is for everybody. Last February, I was preaching in Greece with my pastor, and on the last night, they were having a Holy Ghost crusade, and the missionary there asked me to preach, so I preached about the hope of the Spirit, and that night, we watched five different nationalities receive the Holy Ghost, all from different cultures, many of them having to listen with a translator, but the Spirit transcended every barrier that tried to divide us because it is for all flesh. And so he says, in the last days, he's going to pour out my spirit. And it's going to be on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men are going to dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. And upon the servants and upon the handmaids, he says, I'm going to pour it out. And we must understand when God pours it out, he does so with the intention of filling something up. God does not pour for the sake of pouring. But God pours with the sake and the intention of feeling in mind. So Joel gives us a glimpse of what's going to happen on Pentecost when God gets ready to pour out his spirit there would be 120 people in the upper room saying Jesus fill me up and so we read in our opening text how that exactly happened that God poured out his spirit and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and as we transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament Jesus Christ steps on the scene and he is born and he continues the trend of the Old Testament by promising his disciples there is something coming for the first time in Jesus Christ God is manifested in human flesh and now he is dwelling with his people it is a step up from the Old Testament now now this seemed to be the pinnacle of mankind now they can see him and they can touch him and they can talk to him and follow him they watched him perform the miracle they watched him and they were amazed at his teaching they marveled at his parables he could defy the laws of nature and gravity he walked on water and even the winds and the waves they obeyed him and they were so taken by him that John would write never speak a man like this man because there's never been nobody like Jesus 
It is principle to understand that Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. For Timothy said, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. For God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. He preached to the Gentiles. He believed on in the world. And God was received up in the glory. Does anybody know that there's nobody like Jesus? And while, while it was amazing to, to take that transition upward from God just being a spirit in the Old Testament to now God being manifested in the flesh, while that was amazing, God would continually tell them, if you think this is great, there is something even more greater that I have for you. God being manifested in human flesh was amazing. But he said God being manifested in your flesh is going to be even more amazing. Through the immaculate conception, God was manifested in the flesh. But what happens on Pentecost is the way that God's manifested in our flesh. And the disciples couldn't seem to fathom this. They walked with him and journeyed with him and saw the miracles. And they could not imagine something being greater than being with Jesus Christ in person. So Jesus took a moment in John chapter 14 and he goes on this discourse and he tries to get them to understand that, yes, this is great, but I can't always be here. I have come with a purpose. And when my purpose is done, I am going to be finished. And so he tells him in John chapter 14, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do also and greater works than these shall he do. Now you have to understand, we get to read this in hindsight, but they heard this on a first hand account and I know they had to be perplexed as Jesus God manifested in the flesh looked at them and said what you've seen me do in the last three and a half years you're going to do that and so much more I can imagine Peter James and John turning to each other wondering how are we ever going to compete Peter said I tried to do something he did by walking on water and I immediately began to sink how can we compete with the man that can raise the dead to life how can we compete with the man that can make the to speak how how can we compete with the man that called the cripple to walk I believe Jesus was giving them an insight because in Jesus earthly ministry nobody was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and I believe Jesus was letting them know the greatest miracle that you could ever get is that of the gift of the Holy Ghost I am so thankful that there are signs, miracles, and wonders. I'm thankful today that you're sick in your body. God can heal you. But I'm more thankful that there is a gift available to humanity called the Holy Ghost. And he said, you're going to do greater works. Why? Jesus said, I'm going to give you a clue. This is why you're going to do greater works because I am going to the Father. He said, I'm going to leave. And he said, this is what I'm going to do in verse 16. I'm going to pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. He said, I know you like me being with you, but there's going to be a transition. He said, even the spirit of truth, verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you. Jesus is saying, look, I'm right here with you. You know who I am. I am that spirit of truth. And I know you like me dwelling with you, but I shall be in you and he said if you think this is amazing for me to be side by side with you I want you to wait until you experience what it feels like when my spirit takes up a residence in your body 
In the Old Testament, they built the temple and the tabernacle to house the glory of God. But Paul told us, no, your body is going to be the temple of the Holy Ghost. In the Old Testament, they built the temple. In the New Testament, we became the temple. So now, everywhere we go, the Holy Ghost goes with us. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God still fills people with his spirit. So Jesus tells him, verse 18, he said, listen, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. Because they were afraid, Jesus, when you leave, it's going to go back to how it always was. We gave up everything to follow you, and you're leaving us. Jesus said, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. The word for comforter in the Greek is paraclete. It's where we get our words paramedic, paralegal, that kind of thing. And so Jesus said, I'm going to give you something. The paraclete literally means to stand by one side. And so he says, everywhere you go, you're going to have this comforter. And then he, he breaks it down for him in verse number 26. He says, but let me just make it real simple for you. Because just in case you're wondering what I'm talking about, verse number 26, but the comforter that I'm going to send you, I want you to know exactly what it is. Because people may try to talk you out of it. And some people may try to tell you it's not for you. But I want you to know what the comforter is. The comforter which is the holy ghost jesus left no room for speculation there's only one comforter and that is the holy ghost now the word ghost and spirit are used interchangeably in the bible some people say holy spirit some people say holy ghost i tend to lean more towards holy ghost it just seems a little more rah. I'm just a young whippersnapper that's excited to be spirit-filled, so I say, Holy Ghost. So he said, I'm going to be with you, or I am with you, but I'm going to be in you. And the price I'm going to pay for the gift of Pentecost is going to be paid on Calvary when I shed my blood. So he wraps it up in Luke 24 and tells him, I'm going to send you the promise of my father, but I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you get it. Because when you get it, you're going to be endued with power from on high. And so we go to the book of Acts chapter 1 and it says, and they were assembled together. And the father commanded them. He said, I want you to stay there and don't leave because I'm going to give you the promise of the Father. Jesus is telling them all these prophecies in the Old Testament, all the promises I made when I was on the earth with you. I know they crucified me, but I want you to know I'm alive. And he showed them many infallible proofs, but he said, this is not the end. I'm going to do something more, but I want you to wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to give you my promise. And verse number five says, and John truly baptized with water. But Jesus told them, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And that's when we transition to Acts chapter two in our opening text when the Bible says and when that day of Pentecost was fully come they were all gathered in one place they had been in that upper room for 10 days it had been 50 days since Jesus crucified and so they're gathered they're gathered in that upper room and they're praying oh God we need this comforter oh God we need this spirit you told us you left us and you told us you was going to send something back and then all of a sudden the Bible says and suddenly suddenly the Holy Ghost began to be poured out 
And the Bible says when the Holy Ghost was poured out, they began to speak in other tongues. And I would imagine they started dancing and they said, this is it. This is it. This is what Isaiah prophesied about. This is what Ezekiel wrote about. This is what Joel said. This is it. This is what Jesus said. He's not with me. He's in me. The prepositions of Pentecost are important. You have to understand, this water, it is so good. And the more I preach, the better it starts tasting because I get thirstier. But here's the thing. This water has been with me since I stepped to the pulpit. But this water being with me does nothing for me. But when the water gets in me, it begins to quench those thirsts. And Jesus told him in John chapter 7, he said, but there's going to be rivers of living water that flows out of your belly. He said, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they had not yet been given because Jesus has not yet been crucified. Another point, that water that I drank did nothing for you. You have to get your own water. I don't want somebody else to get the Spirit. I want to get it. I want it too. That's why I have a hard time with somebody telling me the spirit was only for the book of Acts. I'll say, you got another thing coming. If Peter and Paul could experience it, then I, I want to experience it. I want the gifts of the Spirit. I want to exemplify the fruit of the Spirit. But you can't have the fruit of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit without having first the Spirit. If it's in the book, it's available to us. And Brother Johns, if somebody else witnessed it, if somebody else had it, then I want it too. If we get the same Holy Ghost they got in the book of Acts, then we should see the same miracles and the power that they saw. We didn't get a reduced version. We didn't get a great value version, no. We got the real, authentic version of the Holy Ghost. It wasn't on sale. Jesus paid for it with the blood he said. And I don't know about you, but I want it. More than I want my next breath, I want the Spirit. So Jesus does what he says, and he pours out the Spirit. And the Bible says they were amazed, and they marveled. Because you have to imagine, if you weren't raised in the Pentecostal church, you remember your first time coming in. Oh, my goodness. So, Pastor, they come stumbling out of the upper room. You know what it feels like when you hear someone speak in tongues for the first time? Imagine hearing someone speak in tongues for the first time in human history. So, those 120 people come bare out of the upper room speaking in other tongues. And all those people in Jerusalem are like, this is amazing. But what is going on? And so they begin to ask questions on Pentecost. The first one I want to focus on is they ask those disciples who had just been spirit-filled, what meaneth this? The first question of Pentecost was, what does this mean? That's an important question. Not only what does it mean in general, but what does this mean for me? And so the Bible says in verse 13 that others even began to mock and said, man, these people are drunk. 
And so Peter, rebellious, hard-headed Peter, began to stand up and say, hey, listen to me. Because I know what it feels like to be a failure and make mistakes. But I've just been spirit-filled. So I have a testimony of what the power of God can do. So he tells him, he said, I want you to listen to me. He said, these men that you're looking at, they're not drunken as you suppose. Now, he didn't say they weren't drunk. He said, they're not drunk the way you think they are. They're not intoxicated with any kind of alcohol or wine, no. But it is the Spirit of God that they have been filled with. And you ask, what does this mean? What meaneth this? So Peter begins to tell them, I'll tell you what this is. This is that. That was spoken by the prophet Joel. Peter looks at them and said, you know what this is? You know what this means? This means that every prophecy that Joel wrote about, this is that. It is the fulfillment of a promise from God. That in the last days, God promised, I will pour out my spirit. Peter said, this is it. This is it. This is what we've been looking for. What does that mean for us today? You may be here to, today asking, what means this? I'll tell you what it means. It means you too can have the Holy Ghost. It means you can be free. It means you can be a beneficiary of every prophecy and every promise that preceded Pentecost. Some of you are sitting here today and maybe someone invited you. I don't know. Maybe you've been many times, but you're wondering what, what does this mean? It means that on May the 23rd, you can be filled or refilled with the Spirit of God. What makes Pentecost so powerful is not that it happened once in the past, but what makes it so powerful is that it can still happen now in the present. What, what mean it this? What does this mean today, Brother Calloway? It means you can have freedom because the Bible promises us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Lord is that spirit and what the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty the liberating power of the spirit is greater than any vice that tries to hold you the spirit is still greater than drugs it's still greater than alcohol it's still greater than immorality it's still greater than addiction it's still greater than fear what Pentecost means is you don't have to be bound anymore. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What Pentecost means is there is hope. Paul promised us, Romans 15 and 13, Now the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace, believing that you may abound in hope. How? Through the power of the Holy Ghost. There's something about hope that is attracted to the brokenness in humanity. Our world needs hope right now. We need hope right now. And the greatest source of hope is still in the Holy Ghost. I said the greatest source of hope is not in man. It's not in anything else. But it's only found in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Ghost. The hope in the Holy Ghost lets you know I can make it through this valley. The hope of the Holy Ghost lets you know my sons and daughters are coming back. The hope of the Holy Ghost lets you know God can heal my body. There's hope. There's hope in the Holy Ghost. If you need hope right now, I want you to just wave your hand. Anybody, anybody facing something you need hope? I believe God sent me here to give you hope today. 
I read a story of this large city who had a school system and they had a program that they created that they were going to send teachers to the sick kids in the hospital so they wouldn't get behind on their work. And this one particular teacher was assigned to this specific student. And so she went to the hospital where that student was and she walked into that room and she wasn't ready for what she was going to see. The student was bar, uh, was burned very bad and his body was marred. And so as she walked in unprepared for what she was going to see, she began to stumble over her words. She was there to teach him about nouns and adverbs. She didn't want him to get behind, but she felt like she did a poor job because she felt like she was inadequately prepared for what she was going to see. And so she left feeling like a failure. The next week she came back and the medical staff stopped her as she walked in and they said, what? What did you do to him? And she said, I am so sorry. She said, I came to try to teach him about nouns and adverbs. She said, but I didn't realize what I was getting into. And so I stumbled and I felt like I did a poor job. And the medical staff said, no, you don't understand. Before you came, he, he wasn't responding to any treatment. He wasn't wanting to live. But ever since you came last week, it's like he's a new person. He's fighting. He's wanting to live. And he's making improvement. And so the teacher walked into that room. And she started talking to that young boy. And she asked him what happened. And so he told her. He said, when you came into this room last week you gave me hope because I know they would not send a teacher to teach a dying boy about nouns and adverbs so when you came to teach me about that it gave me hope that I must be gonna make it I must gonna live can I tell Atlanta West Pentecostal Church something I don't have the nouns and adverbs but I do have a word from God there's hope in the spirit it's not over Jesus it's not finished if you've got a pulse you've got a purpose and there's still hope in the Holy Ghost. Somebody shout, there's hope. There's hope for my family. There's hope for my future. There's hope for my friends. There's hope for my church. Pentecost means there's hope. What meaneth this? It means that you have resurrection power. They sang it about it a while ago says, but if the spirit, Romans chapter 8, if the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead, if he dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Easter is when we celebrate Jesus being raised to life. But Pentecost is when we celebrate the spirit raising us to life. Because we used to be dead. We used to have the grave clothes. But now we have a garment of praise. Because we used to be bound but we're not anymore. The old song says it like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now I'm free. Is anybody thankful for the new life that Jesus gives you? Pentecost means your past doesn't have to dictate your future. So the first question they asked was, what meaneth this? The second question they asked is found in verse number 37. The Bible says, and when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men, men and brethren, what shall we do? So now that they understand what it is, now they're asking, what do we do about it? So Peter looks at them, and he gives them the answer to the second question of Pentecost. He says in verse 38, then Peter said unto them, this is what you need to do. You need to repent 
and be baptized. Every one of you, and it's important how you baptize. You have to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And when you do, you shall receive the gift, the gift. Thank God for his unspeakable gift. For the wages of sin are death. But the gift of God is eternal life. I don't know about you, but the Spirit is still the greatest gift in the world. The proper response to Pentecost is to experience it yourself. Pentecost is not a historical holiday that we observe. It's an encounter to be had. And today is our chance for a personal Pentecost. And Peter left nobody out when he said, for the promise is unto you and to your children. And just to include the whole world and all that are afar off, even as, as the Lord our God shall call. The promise is for everyone. Two questions of Pentecost. What meaneth this and what shall we do? And the book of Acts chapter 2 gives us the answer to both questions. I grew up, I'll tell you about what Pentecost means to me. I grew up in a small city, Bogalusa, Louisiana. My mom and my dad were very young, high school age when my mom had me. And not long after, I was a small child, and my dad kicked us out of the house and set all of our belongings on fire. He wanted to sever the relationship. My mom is an incredible lady, and I've been able to share the gospel with her. And she has been baptized in Jesus' name. God's healed her body of cancer. And she is seeking for the Holy Ghost. So when you pray, be in prayer for that. It's going to happen. Because God made me a promise. And the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. My mom is an incredible lady. She walked through a lot of circumstances. But through some of the things I experienced with my dad, some of the things he verbally told me, some of the things he did, it left me with a traumatic childhood. And I began to search for things to fill the void. And so I turned to sports and then I turned to the streets and then I turned to relationships and friendships and then that turned into drugs and alcohol. And I began to just go deeper and deeper trying to find something to fill the void. But the problem was everything left me feeling empty. My freshman year of college, I was in Southeastern Louisiana University in Hammond, Louisiana. Thankfully, through all of the mistakes I made, I managed to have a great GPA, and because I came from a low-income family, I got a full scholarship. And so I went to this school, and I was just doing all sorts of things, just still trying to feel the void. I was reaching for things. But in March of 2010, I came home from a party late, late one night. I stumbled upstairs to my apartment bedroom, apartment 165. I'll never forget it. Hammond, Louisiana, I could take you right to it. And as I stumbled up there and made my way to the bed, when I laid my head on the pillow, something physically happened in my room. It felt like someone plugged in a box fan. I felt wind blowing. And I was like, I feel the, I knew. I didn't know much about church or the Bible, but I knew I felt the presence of God. And so I, I, I thought I was crazy. And then the next night, it happened again. The next night, 
For three months, March, April, and May of 2010, it happened every single night. One night, it got so bad, I stumbled downstairs, and I told my two best friends, Caleb and Trayvon, who were living with me at the time, I said, man, you guys aren't going to believe what happened. I can't go to bed. The presence of God is blowing in my room. I can feel the wind. I feel the effects of it. They looked at me kind of starry-eyed like I was crazy, but they were trying to console me and be a good friend. And They said, it's going to be okay. I said, no, when I get home, I'm going to give my life to God. i got to figure out what this is. And they said, oh, you'll never do that. You can't leave all this alone. I went home in June of 2010. Those nightly wind visitations stopped, but in July of 2010, I had a dream. And in the dream, I saw Caleb and Trayvon, my two best friends. I saw my mom. I saw my siblings. I saw my cousin Aaron. They would look at me in the face, and then they would plunge off the edge of a cliff into a pit of what appeared to be lava and fire. And in that dream, God spoke to me and said, Drew, this is what's going to happen to your family. If you don't serve me because they don't know who I am, but you do, And if you'll serve me, I'll reach your family. So I woke up. That was the first week of July, 2010. I woke up and tears began to fill my ears. And I said, I'm going to the altar this Sunday. And so I found the Pentecostal church that I had passed thousands of times. And I went in there and I went to the altar. My pastor, who is now my pastor, who I now work for, he is preaching July the 4th, 2010. I tell people Independence Day kind of has a double meaning for me. It's a declaration of independence for me because of the blood. So I celebrated as an American and I celebrated as an apostolic. So I went to the altar, broken, addicted, body marred with tattoos, all of these baggage, feeling so shamed. As I walked to the altar and lifted my hands, the scripture became a reality. And when you repent, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I lifted my hands and God filled me for the first time with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. And church, in one moment, God filled the void that I searched for for 19 years. Drugs couldn't do it. Women couldn't do it. Alcohol couldn't do it. But Jesus... I said, but Jesus can do it. Jesus can do what nothing can do. Jesus still does it. I said, Jesus still does it. Jesus can still do it. Stand to your feet. And so, I said, you know what? This is amazing. I'm not keeping this to myself. I got to tell somebody about what just happened to me. And so I started driving my family crazy. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Do you know that there's forgiveness in the name of Jesus? And I started teaching Bible studies. I started picking people up for church in the van. People I didn't even know. You want to come to church Sunday? Pastor, can I use the van? Yes. Started filling it up, bringing people to church. I watched people, person after person, get the Holy Ghost. But I said, God, you made me a promise. You said you'd reach my family. And then my grandmother let me teach her Bible study. She got baptized, got the Holy Ghost. Both of my siblings have been baptized in Jesus' name and spirit filled. My two best friends who were living with me, who told me I'd get over it. I got over it. And I baptized both of them in the name of Jesus. Then my cousin Aaron, 
who was like my best friend growing up. He's four years older than me, all-state football player, turned down a scholarship to go to work in Mary's high school sweetheart. Everything was great until he got introduced with drugs, and then he became a meth addict. He, he almost died several times. He and his wife were so bad they got addicted. They lost their children. He ended up in prison. But I would go visit him every Saturday night, and I would tell him about what Jesus did for me. And I let him know he can do it for you too. Because Jesus is greater than meth. He's greater than crack cocaine. He's greater than marijuana. Jesus is greater. So I began to teach him a Bible study through that glass. I told him when you get out, I said, God's going to do it for you. So he got out of prison, called me. That Saturday night, we had a home Bible study. I began to teach Aaron and Hope, his wife, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I started telling them about the new birth. They started weeping when I told them about the blood and how it's applied at baptism when you speak the name of Jesus. And I started talking to them about the Holy Ghost. And that next Sunday morning, June the 3rd, I baptized both of them in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. The next Sunday, I was out of town. I had to go work youth camps. I was in North Louisiana or Central Louisiana. I'm up there working. It's time for churches going on. I know it's about 7 o'clock. Pastor's in the pulpit. I get a FaceTime call from my pastor. And I was like, oh, he's supposed to be preaching. I was like, you know what is pastor? So I'm going to answer it anyway. So I answered it. And somebody's holding the phone. And Aaron and Hope, my cousin, his wife, they're standing at the altar. He said, Drew, I wanted you to see this. They're about to receive the Holy Ghost. And so I watched on FaceTime as he laid his hands on Aaron and Hope, those former meth addicts who the devil thought it was over. They took their children, but God said, I can restore and I can give you back everything. I said, God can give it back to you. God can give it back to you. I watched on FaceTime as Aaron received the Holy Ghost, as Hope received the Holy Ghost. They got their kids back. They're not on drugs. Why? Because the Spirit is still alive. I said, it works, church. It works. So this is what we're going to do. If you're here today and you have a need, you have a miracle, or you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you never received the Holy Ghost, in a moment I want you to come. Don't be embarrassed. We have people that are ready to pray. In our first service, as soon as I gave the altar call, a man came running from the back, came straight to the front, received the Holy Ghost, got baptized in Jesus' name, because that's what it's all about. Pentecost is present. It's here. It's available. But the choice is up to you. In the book of Luke, it's the last thing I'm going to share. In the book of Luke, the Bible says Jesus passes by the way, and there's a man that has a need. He has two needs. His name is Bartimaeus. The Bible says he's a beggar. He's got the cup in his hand, and he's asking, can you spare a little change? But the Bible also says he's blind. But he heard that Jesus was close. And so the Bible says he lifted up his voice and began to cry out, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the people around them had the audacity to tell him to be quiet. But Bartimaeus says, 
this is my moment for a miracle. You're not going to hush me up. You don't know what I need. So don't criticize my shout when you don't know my circumstance. So Bartimaeus says, okay, I got an answer for you. He cried out a little bit louder. (laughs) And here's what happened. When Jesus heard somebody crying out to him, the Bible says he stopped and turned and said, bring him to me. Now here's what perplexes me. Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you need? Bartimaeus is standing there having having to be carried to Jesus. It's like, Jesus, God in the flesh, you can see that I'm blind. But I believe there was something deeper that Jesus was trying to give Bartimaeus the choice. Because Bartimaeus had two needs. He had the small surface level need. Jesus could give him a few dollars in the cup and go on his way. And that would work for a little bit, but it wouldn't take care of the deep issue. So Jesus said, I can give you just a few dollars and go on about my way or... I can take care of what nobody can take care of. Anybody can throw a little change in your cup. But if you've got enough faith to ask it, I've got enough faith to believe it. And if I take care of the deep issue, the deep issue will inadvertently take care of the small issue. Because you won't be blind anymore, so you won't need that cup. But Jesus left it up to Bartimaeus. What do you want? And Bartimaeus says, God, I'm not trying to impress anybody. I need a miracle. I'm blind. And Jesus said, it's done. And the Bible says his eyes was open. And God gave him a miracle. And I believe that same scenario is here today. Jesus is here and wants to know, what do you need?